Well, that was a small part of uh, Team 1 and 2 that went to Haiti today. Um, I'd like uh, Team 1 and 2 to, to stand up and just so that everybody can see uh, who, who went on the teams. Please, please stand. Okay. <laughs> we're we're uh, this morning. We're just going to have a time of sharing, and uh, it's just uh, one to two minutes uh, each, where um, they're going to come up and just share how uh, one main thing that God has really uh, impacted on their life on on this trip. Um, and we're going to start with Julie. hard to follow that. First of all, again, this is, my name is Julie McRoy, and this was my fifth year in Haiti, and one of the highlights, obviously, each year is when, when my Lion and Lamb family gets to go. Um, since we only have one or two minutes, I'm going to give you an update on Moise, also known as Moses. Two years ago, um, we showed up at the orphanage uh, to, to a little guy in a crib who had quite a few teeth and weighed about six or seven pounds when he came into the orphanage. And while we were there, we didn't even know if he'd make it. Last year we showed up and Moses was still alive. Uh, Tanya Swinson and I worked with him a lot and I thought there's no way this kid is ever gonna walk. Um, he's gonna have a lot of issues, which is fine. I showed up this year and ran up into the nursery looking for Moise and I couldn't find him. I was looking in the crib, looking for a little boy sitting down, and the nursery mama just had a big smile on her face, and I said, where is Moses? And she pointed to a group of kids standing. And I said, yeah, but where's Moise? And she tapped him on the head, and for those of you who are familiar with this story, there was a couple pictures of me holding him and kissing him on the cheek. And not only is Moses alive and well, he is thriving at Lifeline. He is walking, he is throwing temper tantrums, he is feeding himself. Um, that was probably my main highlight. I also want a quick prayer request for Nicole, the orphanage director. Um, this ministry has been dealing with uh, the United States end a lot, and there's been a lot of government changes on the Haitian end. She is dealing with um, everything from a church board to UNICEF to government regulations and through adoption agency, trying to make wise decisions regarding the children there, how the money's spent, she has a lot of um, things on her plate. Um, when we were there, we got to see a little bit about what it looks like when a mama brings her one-day-old baby in and wants us to take it, and she now has to turn them away because social workers are now involved, and there's good and bad to that. So please pray for Nicole and the decisions that she has to make regarding Lifeline. Thanks. We need to show that video after we talk <laughs> next year. I'll try to get it together to uh, share a few things here. Last year, for, you know my story of being so anxious last year. Well, last year's anxiety was replaced with this year's peace. Absolutely amazing. Uh, great team. Uh, just just a great team. I'll just leave, leave that right there. Uh, so many of you have been uh, to Haiti with family. Uh, so to have Sam along this year was just an incredible highlight for, uh, for me as a dad. Um, I think the story I'll share is the devotion time with the young men. And uh, Brian and Kent and others arranged this, and we just got to enjoy the blessing of it. Every night, uh, and, and we had the services of an incredible uh, interpreter, uh, Judney Joseph. Uh, if anybody on the team 
or if anybody else uh, is feeling called or interested in what it would take to sponsor a young 23-year-old man who wants to come to college here, see me. There's some heart tugs going on. Um, Anyway, having him uh, was just incredible for the guys because Emily's pulled a gazillion different directions, as you can imagine, with the young ladies and with the operation in general. But, but having Judy was, was awesome. And so we took turns having devotions with the, uh, basically the teen guys, and there was just a lot of spiritual meat that was shared by uh, the people uh, that are on the, on the front row here, and it was awesome to take and, and uh, then uh, guys had the great idea to kind of take the older guys a couple of different nights and kind of call them up to manhood. That was so powerful. Um, talk to them about uh, what it means to be a, a man providing um, and uh, being, being the spiritual leader in your home and protecting. And, and these young men are, are going to be out of the orphanage within a, within a few years. And so just to be able to talk to them about deep spiritual manhood things, uh, including purity. And I was able to share my story of repentance and um, just continues to be powerful. And uh, had a number of uh, young men and others come up afterwards and uh, get to share more personally, more deeply with them. So uh, a powerful spiritual time for me that was uh, peaceful, which is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> in Ethiopia, um, a lot of orphans in orphanages um, experience what is called the Lazarus effect, where two months like they can go from dying to being completely alive through the marvels of modern science and medicine. In Haiti, we see that same thing happening um, in the orphanage, but it's because of the power of God and through love. And you can't just like walk away from that without knowing that those children are completely cared for and protected by their Heavenly Father, and it's just a miracle to see what God has done in that orphanage, in that dying country, through Nicole, just to bring life back into that and I just praise God so much for her ministry there and just I'm so thankful for it. Um, hi, I'm Brianna McElroy and uh, this was my first time going to Haiti and um, it was the greatest experience ever. Um, um, one of my favorite moments of being there was um, me and Julie McElroy, my aunt, um, we uh, just went up into the nursery and uh, just hung out there for a while, and all the kids wanted to be held and stuff, so we sat down, and our laps are full of children, and um, we just kind of laid down for a while, and the kids, like, slept on us, and um, yeah, I don't know, it was it was a really great experience, and um I recommend everyone going to Haiti. Um, it's great. Um, and I pray that I can go again and bring my family with me. Well, as a late-in-the-game assigned team leader by Dan, I just want to thank the veterans that went, uh, the Donaldsons, Mary, Julie, uh, Brian, Stan, uh, people that made it real easy to be a team leader. It was a, it was a great experience. And then I want to thank all the new 
uh, people from Lion and Lamb and also from Florida. A lot of Brian's family went, and uh, they were all instrumental in some way in, in pulling off exactly what we did, was, which was love on the kids. And uh, You can keep praying for all of us, especially the people who have gone the first time, because uh, God's still working in their hearts, I'm sure, as he is with us veterans. And uh, Dan, thanks for not going. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry for you guys who didn't get to experience Dan, first-timers, because it's, please don't ever not go again, Dan. <laughs> well, my name is Pat Sampson, and this was my first time. And I'm glad that I went. It was hard, but it, it was very, uh, as they all said, uh, life-changing. The, the, what I, the little experience that I had that I want to share is, is I'm, I'm very shy, if no one has noticed. And <clears throat> this one little boy, he's about 10 years old, he picked me out. And he's very shy and quiet. So we just sort of hit it off. We bonded right away. And um, with uh, my hearing, I don't hear good, and being dyslexic, I don't under hear sim uh, uh, sounds real good. So he, I asked him his name, and he, he told me, and I didn't understand it. And so I asked him again, and he repeated it. And I said, I, said, so I thought it was some weird pronunciation. And I said, you're going to have to teach me how to say your name. And so he runs off, and he comes back with this little piece of paper. And I know you can't see it, but he wrote in cursive. And he wrote his first name first, which I can't pronounce. But his, last, his first name is Kimball. And so the next time I saw him, I thought, well, I will print my name because this is all English, and he, he printed it in, and wrote it in English. So I printed my name, Pat Sampson, and gave it to him. And before I knew it, all these other little boys were calling me Sampson. Sampson. <laughs> so anyway, with the, the, he, thinking that was my first name, but that's my story. And, and it was, um, I'm glad I went. Uh, it was a great experience. Hi, I'm Carla Billen, and I'm another newbie to Haiti. Uh, my husband and I were able to go together. Um, uh, we had some meetings before we left, and the veterans and the leaders did a great job of helping us prepare for Haiti and letting us know what to expect. But when we got there, the sights and the noises and the smells were just um, bigger than life. <laughs> so there's no some of that you can't prepare for. Um, some of the standouts for me, uh, when we arrived from the airport and disloaded from this open-air bus, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> um, and we were just kind of standing there taking it all in, some of the kids recognized the veterans and they were hollering, Julie and Philip, and Bill and I were just kind of standing there, and all of a sudden I feel a kid grabbing my hand and a little kid who doesn't know me wants love for me and then little hands reaching up to be held and it's irresistible and it's quite humbling to 
have a kid seeking love from you that you don't know. Um, we, I bonded with a little girl named Tamara, and um, we would sing to her, Tamara, Tamara, I love you, Tamara. Um, she chose me, or God helped her to choose me, and um, I love her. Um, you saw me holding her a couple times. She's thin and emaciated, hardly has any hair. But she sings under her breath all the time. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And that just endeared her to me. And then she endeared herself to Bill a few days later. <laughs> um, another highlight for me was teammates that really inspired me and gave me strength. Um, too many to mention, but some amazing folks that I... Um, felt a lot of camaraderie with. Um, some takeaways for me, since being in Haiti, I know better how to pray for them. I know some of Nicole's heart. Um, I know some of the project needs. I know kids by face and by name that I can pray for, and I will, and I have. Um, another takeaway is knowing the needs there. Um, I know that I will never look at a an empty pillowcase the same because now I'm going to start collecting pillowcases because that's what they use to give food away. They fill them with rice. Well, we filled them with rice and soap and oil and gave away um, to needy people. So empty pillowcases can be shipped down there and diapers and diaper supplies and um, coffee carafe because I broke a coffee carafe down there. I'm going to send some coffee carafes down there. <laughs> Um, just, there were some difficult things, um, but the blessings far outweighed any difficulties, so. I had several lessons, but, but I'm going to try to, try to, uh, break, boil it down to a couple. Uh, you know, we talk about short-term missions and, and beware, beware, because, you know, so the debate, oh, do, I, do I pay the money for a plane ticket to fly myself down there just so I can kind of go around and paint this and fix that uh, and hold a couple babies, or do I send my money and so they can buy something really cool, you know? Um, so once you get there, when you're first there, you're like, I still don't know, should I have come, should I have come, Is it, you know, do, do they really need me? So one thing I wanted to talk about, and this is all garbled, but um, when I first got there, uh, the first thing is you're, you're holding kids. This is what I, you know, after about five or ten minutes, you go, hang on one second. You go in and wash your hands, come back out. Come on, come on. Hang on one second. <laughs> okay? Because you're thinking, these kids, they have these diseases that we don't have in America, you know? And so... Well, every day that goes by, you're washing your hands. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm, oh, oh, by the way, I quit chewing my nails for the, for the trip. I'm a, you, you laugh because I'm sure everyone here has seen me, like, like, you know. I'm a nail biter. I'm a skin biter. Everything that's there, you know, I, I take it to the bone, you know. But um, Carla said, you have to stop chewing your nails, and I was supposed to, start practicing back in December, I, I literally waited till the week we left. I said, I'm done. I'm done. 
So I grew my nails out. So I quit chewing your nails because I, I will chew them. I'll hold kids and chew my nails. I'm, I'm going to, you know, have, some, have what you call traveler's Montezuma's revenge. <laughs> so um, I quit chewing my nails. So I got that out of the way. But what I wanted to say is that after each day that goes by, you're less and less concerned. And by about the third day, you said, bring it on. I don't, I mean, I wash my hands occasionally, but I want these kids. I want them. I want to hold them. I want to touch them. I want to kiss them. I want to rub, rub my beard in their hair. I don't care anymore because, you know, God will take care of me. And, you know, if I come back with something, and I did. I mean, I think, <laughs> actually, I really caught it from the teammates. They went down there with colds, and, and, then, and we came back with the same colds. So uh, I didn't catch anything from the kids, but, but I'm telling you, you get to a place to where you don't care anymore. And I thought, this is what it's like to live by faith, meaning this, that when you, when you have all these, your inhibitions just go away. And after a while, I'm thinking, I'm walking, this is, this is really cool, I'm walking by faith. I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm not in America. I don't care anymore whether I get seconds for my meals, which, you know, I, and I, I try not to do seconds. I'm, I'm trying. But this, like, I, as you get to this place to where you don't, your needs, you know, when it says, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I got to a place where I just didn't want anymore. And it was really a freeing thing. And I thought, this is what it takes. It takes three or four days. And I say, wow, this is a gift to be able to not need and want. And the second lesson I learned, and I hope I don't go over, but the second lesson I learned was humility. I knew going down there that I was going to have to learn humility. Uh, we weren't going to have, only, you weren't always going to have the right tool for the right job. You were going to have to wait on this and wait on that. But that, that is an understatement. You cannot believe it. You'd be working on a job and you'd say, ooh, I got a Phillips. I need a straight head. And you'd have to walk several minutes back to the shop, get the other screwdriver, bring it all the way back and go, ooh, I need the bigger one. Go all the way back. <laughs> It was crazy, but it was one. And another thing is, when you're working in the shop with all the guys, <laughs> you say, "I need that tool." You go to grab it, you use it, you set it down, it's gone. Someone else is using it, and you say, "Hmm, which job is more important?" I think theirs is. So you just don't work. I mean, you don't work on that that thing. You go and hold a baby until that tool is available again, and you go back and use it again. Incredible patience. And the biggest thing for me, and, and this is just a confession that. I, I am an individual, I'm a, uh, what do you call it, uh, I, I, am a, I tend to isolate myself, it's just the way I've always been. I've never been in competitive sports, I've never been on a team, I've never been in the service. I've never been in a situation where I've had to follow orders. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades in my own little kingdom, in my house. I, I do my own plumbing and electric and everything. I get here thinking, yeah, give me, a, you know, I'm, I'm up with the A team, give me a job. And it's the craziest thing. I made mistake after mistake. And Brian, he reminded me. He didn't say these words, but you are a private. You are a private. <laughs> there was one time when I was working with Kent. And we were making these cabinets. And we're supposed to drill these screws through the cabinet to the outside. And I'm drilling them through. And they're coming out the front of the cabinet. And I didn't even see it. So I'm just zip, zip, zip. I go to another room, and then um, uh, Kiwi comes after me, a guy named Kiwi. He says, come here, and, or, or you come after me. Someone caught it and told on me, and I realized I did the very thing that I didn't think I would ever do. I'm, ma I'm making these mistakes, and I realized, humble yourself, humble yourself. Anyway, I, this is the first time I've had to just 
humble myself and just follow orders and, and realize I am on the B team. Actually, I think of myself as the C team, but they, they, let, us, they let it not go any below, below B, so I was still second string. It still felt good. But they'd give us these second string jobs, like building cribs, which we were able to really you know, do great on. But anyway, it was real humbling for me because, cause like I say, in my own home, I'm king. But boy, here I, I realized, wow, there's some guys that are really professionals. And I had to learn to just watch these guys and just, and just you know, I was in awe. And it's true, Brian, I was in awe. You've got to accept that. So now Brian's going to come up and do a rebuttal. That's a hard act to follow there, Bill. I didn't fire you, though. No, he did really good. Um, my name is Brian Budden. Uh, I'll introduce myself. I uh, married for 12 years to my, my wife, Amanda. I have three boys. We go to TBC, and uh, this is my second trip to Haiti. I went last year at the beginning of the year, um, and the cool thing about this trip for me was that God did a work in my mother's heart, which um, came out of nowhere for me and my sister's heart and her fiancé. And so on this year's trip, uh, my mom, my sister, and her fiancé all came with us, and they live down in Florida. So it was amazing. Um, Phil put me in charge of the work team, so I thought I'd share a few notes on what people did so that you'll know all the stuff that was accomplished. And then I'll make a, uh, just a short comment after that. So bear with me. I'm going to be kind of quick here. Uh, Phil, he's the boss man. thought it was and that's a hard job to do. It really is. Um, leadership is, is a whole different thing than working. And he was out of his comfort zone, but he did a really good job. Um, he worked really hard on the electrical and the plumbing. Uh, Kent Vincent worked on plugging the uh, air conditioning holes. You don't understand that. I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, he built uh, fences, built cribs. Uh, Stan and Sam Langhofer, they built a fence. Um, they built eight benches and a picnic table. Um, Bill Billen, praise team leader. You know, something, something, yeah, we need some applause for that. A-team, praise team leader. <laughs> yeah, I play, I try to pretend to play guitar, and not everything I'm going to try next to Bill. He's an amazing guitar player. And, and to that, I'll speak to that just real quick. So something we do every night is uh, after uh, we have dinner, and then we um, uh, put the kids to bed, do the kids' devotion, then we get together as a team, there's some announcements, and we have a chance to do some praise songs. And that's a, that's a time, a very special time, where this team is blessed and we bless one another. And that's part of this whole trip is uh, not only do we bless the kids, but the Lord comes into our lives and blesses us as a team. And being the praise team leader like that and singing those songs together is a very important part of the trip. So, Bill, A-team. Um, not to mention he did plug those same AC holes. And he built 18 cribs, which was awesome. So... Um, uh, Jesse Barker and Caleb McElroy, I gave them all kinds of odd jobs that they did that were too numerous to list here. Um, Kelly Donaldson built the fence. David Hess did a lot of the electrical stuff. Another guy from Florida. Um, Craig Rapihana, he's a, uh, my future brother-in-law. He's from New Zealand, and they called him Kiwi. So Kiwi is a contractor, so I put him to work, and he was, he was awesome. He built six base cabinets for me, four upper cabinets. He put in six door frames. Uh, Patrick um, Hilger, uh, Pat's brother, he's awesome too. It's like a, it's like a clone. It's like these these brothers just are mechanics. They just know everything. And so uh, Patrick did the electrical, the plumbing, put in a water heater. I helped build some cabinets and sinks. And then uh, real quick, I wanted to say the boys' devotions. 
each one of these guys I asked to, to uh, do a devotion, and the, the following guys did that. Kent Vincent, Stan Langhofer, Sam Langhofer, Bill Billen, Caleb McElroy. Where is he? He did awesome, by the way. That was really good. Um, Kelly Donaldson, Kiwi, myself, and then Jude Nee. And Jude Nee, he's, he's got a special place in my heart, too, because he was our translator, which makes a big difference. It, you know, he, he, in another language, there's that barrier. We try to do devotions, but they don't come off the same unless you understand what they're talking about. So Judney was an incredible uh, blessing from God. Um, and I also put some of the ladies to work. Um, Christy Vincent, Carla Billen, my mom, my sister, Sue Hess, who's 72 years old, by the way, is an awesome lady. Um, she painted like a rock star. All of them did. They did touch up paint in the clinic and in the, in the baby's room. Um, and so for the team, I just want to recognize a few of the boys. You may not have noticed this, but I put some of the boys to work, too. And I didn't mess around. I actually made them do things. And, and I think that's important uh, for them to realize that part of being a man is actually um, getting your hands dirty, whether you know how to do it or not, and learning a skill. So Judney, he is awesome. John Mark, Ricardo. I taught Ricardo how to use a drill and use a countersink. Um, he didn't drill through any cabinets. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, Bill. Uh, Camille and uh, Masta, they did awesome. And then Ewo, um, Edward, he, he's the kid that stole my heart. And I'm not going to, I'm going to crack up if I start talking about Ewo because I love him. Um, and then the, the ladies, uh, Julie and, and Mary and, 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 and Judy, it's an incredible blessing to have people like you there. Um, it seems like some people might think of it as a small thing to help us with the food and the nourishment and the support, but um, it's really incredible. And I, I get to the point of, we built some stuff, right? And that's great. But that stuff's going to fall apart. That's not lasting. And the things that these ladies did in, in playing with the kids, loving on the kids, supporting the kids, um, it is lasting. And an impact on their life is really the reason that we go. It's not to build a cabinet or... Or, or sing a song to one another, though that's important. It's really about the children. And the women, I just can't thank you enough for, for doing that. And the last thing I'll say is that um, as a visitor to Lionel Lamb and an outsider, um, if, if these people are any indication of the caliber of a church this is, I think this is a real community of believers that's truly acting as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And I was honored to be a part of it. So thank you. guess I'm going next because Jesse informs me it's just too hard to get up here. And, um, but I do want to tell you that my son David was going to pay Jesse $5 for keeping track of every time I had an emotional breakdown. <laughs> I don't know if he's paid you yet, but actually I think he could have counted as many times for Kent because he had just as hard a time as I did. But, um, it was my first time to a third world country. Um, I can't go into all of that, but um, needless to say, I finally understand how good I have it. Um, I feel like I'm supposed to just talk about a couple things, even though if you want to talk to me, I'll, I'll talk your ear off, um, because it's one of those things uh, no one else will probably mention. We had a party for the mamas. Um, they're the ladies that help take care of the children in the nursery. They also help cook food for the children. 
And it was just a wonderful experience. There were 15 of them, and we were able to take a, a bag of, uh, which had little like lotion and soap and things in it, and also um, money from Haiti Lifeline was able, uh, we were able to give them a gift of money, which was equivalent to two weeks' salary for each of them in their bag. And you can imagine how elated they, they were. And these, there's some of these ladies that stay there all night. They're, uh, they're sleeping on a, a little mat, um, taking care of these children. And um, being a mom of a, a large family, I, I just really connected with them. Um, also, um, you, know, you must know that the highlight of the trip was for us to meet our um, granddaughter, Amanya. And um, it was just a great experience to get to see where she's lived and all her friends. And as a young mom, the Lord gave me a verse, Matthew 19, 14. It says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And little did I know or have in my wildest dreams that I would get to go to Haiti and uh, love on and teach children um, about Jesus. And so the second thing I was going to tell you um, is I wanted to go to school with Amanya. For many of you that know me, I love to teach. And um, school there is nothing like school here. They do actually have two buildings. One is more modern, where the kids in the orphanage get to take English classes once or twice a week. And uh, I hands down to this teacher who is <laughs> pretty chaotic in there, too. Um, and he had four to eight-year-olds when I was in there, and um, he was very patient, to say the least. The other um, building that they go to school in <coughs> is an open-air building. Um, there are a few classrooms there. It's older. Um, everybody that's under high school age goes there. The high schoolers go off of the orphanage for their schooling. But in this little building, um, you can hear all the classes. Um, there are no books. Everything is in oral recitation. They sit on these dusty wooden benches all crowded together. And I just thought, I'm going to do this. I uh, tapped the teacher and said, me, you know, teach. And uh, so she gave me a piece of chalk, and I went to town because it's what I love to do. And um, I was just amazed at their attentiveness, their enthusiasm, and the joy on their faces. I even taught them the B-I-B-L-E, and it was the most wonderful experience ever. But just being there, um, uh, being able to share this time with those kids, I, I will never regret it. You will never regret it if you, if you spend that money and do that. So, merci. Good morning, my name is Matthew Brandt. This is my fourth time to Lifeline. Uh, <clears throat> I was on Team 1, which went a couple weeks or a week earlier than Team 2. Um, and the balance of that team was from Topeka Bible Church and, of course, the group from Down Heston, and, and Phil was on that team also. And I don't know if you noticed, but, um, you know, Phil and I both went to Haiti, but one of us got a haircut, um, so. <laughs> and... The reason I bring that up, there's a, a young man down there, Mackinson, he, um, he's in some of the pictures, but he cuts hair at the orphanage, and uh, he's cut my hair a couple of times when I've been there, 
and he cut it this time. Uh, he got set up out behind the guest house, and he's cutting away, and Nicole comes around and, and uh, starts, you know, tell me uh, that when the orphans are 18, they're supposed to leave the orphanage, but he's at that age now, but they want to keep him around and try to get him set up in a barber shop um, right outside the orphanage. And uh, so they can take care of him. He's uh, got a very bad spinal uh, deformity. He only stands about this tall, but, you know, great kid, plays soccer, rides bikes, gets around, and uh, gives great haircuts, too. So um, so anyway, Mackinson finishes up with me, and I go around to the front of the guest house to show off my $1,302 haircut to the rest of the team members. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm talking to one of them who's uh, named Lacey, who's another adoptive parent from Virginia, and uh, telling her about what Nicole just told me about trying to get Mackinson set up as a barber. And she says, oh, um, my dad's a retired barber, and we've got a barber chair in our basement we want to get rid of. So I said, you know, I would mention this to my church. If anybody here has a connection to get a barber uh, chair from uh, Washington, D.C., back to Topeka or Wichita, just uh, let me know so we can get that done. And um, that way my Haitian barber can get set up as a real pro. And... Uh, the second thing I want to mention is um, um, January 12th was the uh, the fourth year anniversary of the earthquake in Haiti, and I was there. My wife, Phil, um, a couple other people, Dan, Julie. Um, so we had a short memorial service, and that was the first time I've been there um, on the anniversary of the earthquake. And Doug Teeson, the team leader, had been there every year, and it, it made a big impact on his life. Uh, just you know, being there and being, having the responsibility of trying to take care of the people there and get them out safely. Um, so we just had a short memorial service, a moment of silence, and talked about, you know, what the earthquake meant to us. Uh, and there's no real way to prepare for an earthquake, but, you know, the thing is you can be prepared by knowing uh, who your Savior is and who you place your trust in. So, you know, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, I would uh, consider, you know, I encourage you to consider that today. Just because we don't know when the calamity is going to strike, and uh, and uh, you know, there's over 300,000 people died that day in Haiti, and millions more impacted. So, and the last thing that I want to consider is uh, you, you saw the slideshow, and there's kids, kids, kids everywhere. You know, everybody mentions their time with the kids. The projects, you know, are kind of what gets us down there, but the kids are what keep us coming back. Uh, I'd like you to pray for Mary and I. We're uh, trying to finish up our adoption of uh, Ricardo and Manita. Got a few things around the house to take care of, uh, other issues to resolve yet, just as we try to integrate uh, two more teenagers into our life. So uh, keep us in your prayers and uh, consider going to Haiti with the team next year. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to mention, um, talking about if you're considering going to Haiti and there's a lot of, I know a lot of people that went on the team were really afraid and, um, just not sure whether that's what God's calling them to do. And I just want to reiterate how God shows up sometimes in Haiti and on, on the way there. Um, for, for me, the, the most memorial memorable thing of this trip was uh, right after we took off from Miami. Um, <laughs> I was sitting with uh, Brianna. She says, I don't feel good. 
I'd get, just given her a pill because I was concerned about her uh, not having malaria prophylaxis, and I'd gotten malaria this summer, and thought maybe that was what was making her feel bad. She checked her sugar, and it was greater than 600. And uh, so I said, okay, Brianna, be bol bolus yourself with some insulin, and I ran back to the stewardess and said, uh, I need a bottle of water. And I said, and she said, I can't give you a bottle of water. I've, you know, I only have four bottles of water for the whole flight, and, and I can just give you a little cup of water. I need a, and I said, you don't understand. Not, my niece has a sugar that's greater than 600, and I need a bottle of water. And she looked at me and picked up the phone and said, you know, well, this is, you know, a situation, and uh, do we need to land the plane? Because... You know, the choice between Miami and Port-au-Prince, it's not going to be Port-au-Prince. And, um, and I looked at that completely full plane and thought about everybody's lives that was going on, and I thought about my niece. And I'd seen um, people go to ICU. I'd seen teenagers go to ICU with blood sugars lower than Brianna's was at the moment. And I just heard God say, we're going to get through this, Mary. And, and I knew what I was going into. I knew what the traffic was like in Haiti. I knew what the emergency services were like in Haiti. And I knew the stewardess was completely right. And I just said, I just need a bottle of water. And um, so she gave me the water. And I went back and proceeded to drown Brianna. And... <laughs> And um, I just asked God to give me some kind of sign that we didn't need to get on the next flight out to Haiti as soon as we landed. And um, she was down in the 500s by the time we landed. <laughs> so she was back on the meter at least. And, uh, and God stayed with me. And it took us about three days, but we got things turned around and Brianna was normal and she had a good trip, and I had a great trip. And this team was awesome. And, you know, having been to Haiti, this was my sixth trip to Haiti. And been through the earthquake, horrible trip to the mountains. Um, <laughs> and now watching a, a loved one struggle in this type of environment, God goes with you. He'll be, he'll, if he's calling you to Haiti, he's going to take you to Haiti. He's going to complete the task. And I'd just like to praise him. So thank you. Good morning. My name's Judy Donaldson, and this was my first trip to Haiti. Um, also, the first time that I got to wrap my arms around the newest members of our family. So um, half my heart is in Haiti now. And um, I'm not going to speak about them this morning because I would not make it. <laughs> but what I do want to share with you is that um, I've spent my whole adult life saying that I am not a leader. I love to be someone's right-hand man. And I will help you complete a task, and I will serve you with my whole heart. 
So with that, um, when I came back to Haiti, my husband looked at me and said, when are you going back? So I went and spoke to Matt Vincent, and I'm going back in June, June 20th through the 27th. Um, Matt informed me that he did not have anybody to lead a vacation Bible school. Well, to fast forward that, when we were sitting in the airport debriefing, I was speaking with Julie McElroy, really commenting on how I was very disappointed in myself for not doing a better work and preparing to lead these young girls in devotionals. And I know a lot of my time was spent with my children um, there, but we did have time to pour our heart and souls into these sponges, um, these young girls' lives who truly need to see the hands and feet of Christ. And I was very saddened that I didn't give more energy to that. So um, when I get back and I talk to Matt and he's saying he needs somebody for the June trip to lead Vacation Bible School, I really saw God showing me that he does not call the equipped, but he equips the called. And that is what I'm going on, because this is the furthest thing that I would sign up to do, but truly know that that is where God wants me. And if any of you feel called to go to Haiti, um, just realize that if you aren't the leader that you feel like you need to be, if you aren't um, where you believe God wants you to be, he is going to give you everything you need while you are there. Thank you. I'm Tatum Donaldson. This was my second trip to Haiti, and um, I had a really good time. It was a good experience. This trip, my second trip was a good experience because I got to see some of the kids that um, I had met last year, and I guess I was afraid that they wouldn't remember me because I didn't feel like I was a big part of the team last year, like I wasn't there to do anything, but I just knew that God um, wanted me to be the hands and feet of him and sh uh, share his love with them. So that was my main goal. And then um, about two, two and a half years ago, I started praying that if it was God's will for our family, that we would be able to adopt. And um, last year, he answered that prayer. And so now we're in the adoption process of two kids from Haiti. And it was really neat to get to spend time with them while we were there. So thank you. I'm Caleb McElroy, and this was my first trip. And one thing I thought was really cool was, like, when when we were, like, on the plane to Port-au-Prince, I pictured us, like, driving down a, like, deserted dirt road with, like, maybe a couple people here and there. But when we got there, it was, like, the roads were awesome. Like, <laughs> there were so many cars and, like, tons of motorcycles and people running across the road and, like, we were just getting so close to everyone, and people were honking at each other, and it was just, it was really cool to, like, see everything going on, and it was awesome to see, like, a different country and how they lived and stuff. And another thing I liked doing was, uh, later in the day, me and Jesse, we played a lot of basketball with the older boys, and that was a lot of fun. So it was just really cool, like, getting to know all the kids and stuff, especially the teenage boys. Good morning. 
My name is Kelly Donaldson, and uh, that was my wife, Judy, uh, amazing helpmate, and then my daughter, Tatum. Uh, we've got uh, three other children, Madeline, Claire, and Jacob, and we attend Northland. And I uh, just want to say what a privilege it was to, to be part of such a wonderful team and serve alongside uh, all of you. Phil, what an exceptional job leading the group. Um, just your heart was in it. It was in the right place. You could see it, and I really appreciate that. So thank you for letting my family be a part of it. Um, Haiti Lifeline first came to our attention about two and a half years ago, thanks to Dan and, and Julie McElroy, uh, friends of ours through Heritage. And Dan had encouraged me to go, I think it was at least two years ago, and, and uh, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Um, respected him, but just felt like I had enough on my plate. Felt like God was using me in other places and, and uh, turned him down. And then he came back less than a year later and said, uh, Kelly, I really think you should reconsider for this coming year. Well, at that time, our pastor began a, a sermon series on missions. And uh, that really began to resonate with me that, uh, you know, as a believer, you really should make that a priority at some point in your journey, in your walk, to, to go on a mission trip. Not so much for what you can do or what you have to offer, but what God will do in your life and how that will affect your walk with God and how that brings you in a closer pursuit of God. And so uh, that was beginning to speak to me, and then my wife even encouraged that, that I would go with, with my daughter Tatum as kind of a bonding experience. So... Um, so we made that decision and uh, began to pray about that, and it was really all about the mission work. But for me, for those of you that, that know a little bit about me, and I realize most of you don't, but I'm not a handy guy at all. Uh, so you guys can, can chuckle, and, and, and Stan, you know that too, and, and I'm trying to give him advice on how to put in a fence, and he's trying not to laugh because... Uh, he knows what I'm going to say before I say it, I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an office guy. I work in an office, and, uh, I mean, I can put together a good financial plan, but I don't think those kids had any use for that. So, uh, you know, I didn't grow up experiencing my father fixing things, so I just never thought that's what I was supposed to do and never did. So anything beyond a power drill, that's about all I have experience in. You know, I can hang a picture and make sure it's level, that's about it. Right, Mark? <laughs> so um, it's intimidating to go and be part of a group where these men, they're skilled in that, and I wasn't. So I just kind of wondered where was my place. And I really appreciated how Brian articulated uh, this, not only today, but he articulated it while we were down there, that the things that at least us guys were doing you know, there was a need for that, and it served a purpose, but those things aren't the reason we're there. Those aren't the things that have lasting value. It was the relationships forged uh, primarily with the children, but, but even for the team. You know, some great relationship building experience and learning, for, for me anyway, just through listening to the other guys and, and people on the trip. Um, but when Brian articulated that, it, it, it helped me understand that God did have a purpose for me and had a use for me there. And so probably the highlight for me, and it, it's really hard to encapsulate a week's worth of experiences and the emotions you know, into 
two minutes. It's it's hard to do that. So, but for me, probably the highlight was um, the devotionals with the young men there because that really uh, just the preparation that went into it and just kind of feeling God's prompting and and what needed to be said and and how it was going to be said and then seeing how God would 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 use that in those young men that that created lasting value even for me. So, um, but I did want to talk about one other thing. There was a scripture verse. Uh, a year ago, because this was my second trip, that spoke to me, and then maybe a couple other verses added to it this year. So I want to kind of leave with a bit of a, a call or a charge specifically to the men here. Uh, in James one twenty seven, it reads, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Certainly as believers, I mean, I think we would all desire to have a faith that our Heavenly Father accepts as pure and faultless. Um, and it's saying that, that faith our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, meaning equal sign, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And it's easy to see once you're down there that, you know, they, they need us. Okay, they're, they're in distress. And we're called to do that. Okay? You can look at uh, Psalms. Psalm 68.5. It's a psalm of David about God. It says, God, you are a father to the fatherless. In Psalm 82.3, it says, defend the poor and fatherless. Now, I guess in my experience, if God himself is modeling or demonstrating something, I view it as he's kind of setting the example that he wants us to follow. So again, speaking to the men here, you are called to be a father to the fatherless. You're called to do that. Now there's different ways you can choose to fulfill that. It could be sponsoring a child. It could be going a step further and and, and being on a mission trip, which is even better to be there and, and to forge those relationships with the children. Whether it's bringing a child into your home through adoption or some other method. But there's many different ways you can choose to support this mission. And I would encourage you to do that because I think about where I feel God's call in my life is to, to, to step up my leadership in my own family, being the spiritual leader, and then charging other men to do the same. That's kind of the role that he's given me at Northland is to... to to challenge and, and lead that charge. And so there's, as good as Nicole does there, she does a great job. And Emily, truly amazing with those children and the mamas. But there's something important that's missing. There's an ingredient that's missing, and that's the role of the father. There just is virtually no male leadership in that orphanage. And these boys... They don't get to witness what it looks like for a man to be a leader, a spiritual leader. What's their role? How, what are they going to do when they go outside that orphanage when they haven't had it demonstrated? So that is something for me that God has challenged me that we need to encourage other men specifically to step up and to be a part of this mission and this great work, honestly, that your church is doing. So, uh, again, I want to say thank you. I want to encourage others 
to participate where God leads you to. And thank you for allowing me and my family to be a part of your team. Appreciate it. We on? Um, you know, I can't, uh, I can't add a lot to everything that's been said. Um, everything these people experienced, I experienced, and it was truly an honor to be with these folks. Uh, and one thing I said to the church at Quadrebouquet was, please understand we thought we were coming here to, you know, help the kids and maybe do a little work, but we have received so much more than we could possibly give, and I meant that. Um, it is an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, had a message today, not the usual link. I cut it down to about a third, and I'm going to cut it down another, th- another to about a third of that because we're going a little long here. Uh, and we need to spend some time in worship. Um, the singularly most significant thing that I saw there amidst utter, abject poverty, we went to church and Dan, with Daniel, he's the pastor there at the Bethel Church in, in Quadrabouquet. And then we also went to a village church uh, about an hour out uh, where, uh, you know, these people live in, they have nothing. They, there's no electricity. Their houses are tiny boxes made out of sticks and mud. They do have running water through a ditch nearby. That's it. The joy of the Lord that these people exhibit, frankly, is one of the most humbling things I have experienced in my life. It's something you and I don't see. So I got a question. Could it be, could it be that you and I are focused on and depending upon our material? Everybody here in this gym today would be considered quite well off down there. And we're not a wealthy congregation at all. But could it be that we are focused on something that is taking us away from our dependence upon God? I asked Judy, who you've, referred, who you've heard about today, about this thing that I was seeing, and he, he immediately said, Mr. Vincent, you don't understand. We have nothing. Therefore, we have no choice but to depend upon God.
It, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, each of us has to be alert to God's call in our lives. Now today, you know, we focused on Haiti. And you may feel called to minister to the needy in Haiti. You know, after the meeting here, you can go back and talk to Matt about that at the table in the back. Or you may feel like you want to minister to people in Chicago. Or maybe in Topeka. That'd be a good thing. Wherever you are, there's somebody who needs something, particularly the Lord. Whatever it is, please understand, God knows our hearts. He knows why we're there. He knows whether we're trusting in our material possessions, in our stuff, or whether we're trusting in Him. It's pretty clear who those people you saw singing in that last clip where they're trusting. When they sing, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. They mean it. God, that we would have the same joy that they do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just adore you, and we want to do that now in our time of worship. We pray, Lord, that you would work on all of our hearts, that you would help us to see that the things of this world that we get wrapped up in, whether it's our homes, our cars, our, you know, this thing, that thing, devices, uh, things that distract us from you has sapped our love away from You. And Lord, help us to learn from the Haitian believers who are a tremendous example to each one of us that God, You have always been faithful. And Lord, we know that You always will be. Thank You, Father, for the privilege You've had of, of hearing from all these saints today. Please continue to work in all of our hearts and help us to see what You would have each one of us do as individuals, as households, as church bodies. Lord, help us to shine Your light throughout the world. Thank You, Father, for the tremendous privilege and honor we've had today. We give You all praise and all glory. Amen.